What's up, guys? Welcome to episode two of the Sons of Gotham podcast. I'm your host, John Rebelletto, alongside the John Kent to my Damien Wayne, John Ryan. Hmm. Okay, I could I could go with that. John Kent to Damon Wayne. Because they're they're a team now. They're, they're super kids. Yeah, they're yeah. So we're yeah, right? yeah. We're, we're kids doing super kid stuff. Yeah, I get you, it. You okay. came you came from Superman's walls. I came from Batman's walls. You know what I mean? So I got power. You do have power. I'm better, in other words. I don't even say that, but I mean, I grew up as an assassin. I will kill you. You grew up as this little little kid. Traveling with mommy and daddy, not worrying about a damn thing I in can, his life. I could fly. I can fall with style. You like that? I could high five you, knowing that I could usually easily hit you to the ground. My dad's Batman and sells more books than your dad. My dad's Superman, and he gets portrayed as a villain more than a hero these days. I'm Batman's son. See, it's 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 not. I'm su- <laughs> yeah. We are the sons of Gotham. Gotham, <laughs> where Batman lives. I'm better. Anyways, <laughs> right, that, was, that was interesting. We gotta do more of those. Anyways, on today's episode, we have a lot going on. Of course, we're continuing our review of the Batman the animated series with today's episode, Christmas with the Joker, which is episode two. Damn, the second episode was a Christmas episode of the animated series, along with a review of Batman 25. We're going to give you our thoughts on Batman proposing to Catwoman. We'll also have a review of Dark Days to Forge, and someone's making their appearance in Injustice 2, coming soon, very soon. And last but not least, both John and I are going to give you guys our five, like our top five lists of our favorite people to play Batman on screen. Um, so with that, let's just jump right into it. Let's go ahead and review Batman the Animated Series, Episode 2, Christmas with a Joker. Now, I want to start off by saying this. This is by far one of my favorite episodes of all time. Not only like a bat, like for the animated series, but just like cartoons in general. And one thing, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but when they're, when they're doing the animated series and animating and everything... They actually start off using, like, black paper and coloring the black paper to what we see. So that's why you see a lot of dark aesthetics and stuff like that. And that, I think, them doing it that way, this episode really, like, shows how good that, like, animation style was for this cartoon. Because you see the snow when you see the Christmas colors and everything, and everything just, just shines. I love it. It just... It pops. I don't know. What do you think of the art style, John? I <clears throat> I always loved it. Still do to this day. You know, uh, I think Bruce Timm's art is very complimentary to the Batman character and, you know, you know the characters in general on this show. So it's, again, it's a timeless classic. It's, you know, it's like whenever you see that art style, you know, it's Bruce Timm's. And it's just very iconic up, up to this point. And like you said, like the, the tone of the colors just have so much significant meaning. And, you know, it's just as good as you reading a Batman comic, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, all right, so let's give you guys a brief synopsis of what happened. So before we tell you what we thought about it, let's let's go. Let's go through with it. So 
basically, this is the episode where that famous take on Jingle Bells comes from. So you hear Joker singing, Jingle Bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg, the Batmobile lost its wheel and Joker got away. I love that. We used to always sing that every Christmas when we were younger. Shit. Me and my cousin used to sing it all the time, no matter what the occasion was. Um, so that's where that's actually where that comes from, from this episode here. So, you know, it's Christmas time in, um, in Arkham, and Joker makes his escape. So, of course, Joker makes his escape. And until – at this point, Batman doesn't even, like, know Joker has made his escape. But he just kind of has this feeling about him. He's just like, you know what? I know it's Christmas and all this stuff. And, and you can see Robin, uh, Dick Grayson, really trying to get him to just stay home. But Batman can't stay home. He just he needs to go out and, and just make sure everything is good. You know, he doesn't have faith enough that just this one day of the year, everything is going to be chill. Everyone's going to be calm. And much to his chagrin, things go awry. And instead of being able to just sit home and enjoy Christmas with the family, here comes Joker on TV. He kidnaps Commissioner Gordon, uh, Summer Gleason, and Harvey Bullock. And now it's up to Batman and Robin to get to them in time by 12, uh, 12, 12 a.m. midnight uh, before he kills them. And, of course, Joker th- throws them through all these loops and uh, has them going through these crazy obstacles to finally get to him. And, of course, Batman saves the day with Robin, and they end up watching It's a Wonderful Life together at home. Um, I know it's kind of a quick synopsis of what happens, but it really was a great episode. Uh, what was some of your favorite parts? Actually, it, it's funny enough. Like the first two minutes, like you, like you had, you know, mentioned that you know the uh, the Batman smells uh, song came up. I was like, wow, of course that would be the first thing you know to uh, to, to watch and hear on this on this kind of episode. But then you had that, and then. Uh, you brought up Robin, which also this was actually his, that was his first appearance on the show itself. And funny enough, it was do a jo- uh, Joker episode. And it's funny, okay, th- this was a f- uh, an interesting part that, you know, it's, again, this is one of those shows, even cartoons, because it's rare that you had cartoons that had a lot of adult uh, adult references or adult content that only an adult would understand, not, not so much as a child, but basically the scene when Robin is telling Batman, you know, maybe we can come back at Christmas dinner and then we can watch It's a Wonderful Life. And when he get, when they get, when they both get in the Batmobile and Batman tells them, you know, I've never seen that. I can never get past the title itself. And as a kid, you don't, you don't really, understand like you either don't understand or you just don't pay any mind to it but when he says that there's just so so much meaning behind it you know he can't get past the title it's a wonderful life coming from batman so i just thought that was a little pretty interesting uh uh just fact you know because it's like well of course you know why why would a character like him watch that movie with a title, you know, fitting for him. Right, like, so I thought that was, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just, I, again, you know, it's one of those things where you don't pick up as a kid, you know, and you watch a cartoon like this, you know, in, in present time, and, you know, how old, however old you are, whether you're, you're in your twenties or your thirties and you pick up certain references and dialogue that you may have not necessarily picked up from when you were a child growing up and, 
you're just like, wow. Like so, and we had previously mentioned in the first episode, this was definitely a show that that was definitely for children as well as adults. So it was an all around family entertaining uh, cartoon. Uh, as far as like the rest of the episode goes, uh, you know, the, here's the thing: seeing the Joker, like, and you know, you you would see it maybe like a comic here and there where he would like uh, promote Christmas. Just the idea of having the Joker promote Christmas is so haunting and just so frightening. Like in the cartoon, it doesn't really look much, but just picture this: picture whether it's you just picture like a real life Joker, you know, with a Christmas tree behind him, and he's got like a Christmas like sweater. Like just how frightening that would be. I don't. There's nothing cheery about it. Channels like he's in there flipping through channels. That's like, uh, what the hell is this? He just <laughs> like, like it's it's you know it's. It's something that would definitely give a child nightmares if it were a real thing, you know? <laughs> the cartoon is just too kind with it, but like, like I said, if that was something you'd see on a regular commercial, the the child would immediately close their eyes or walk out of the room because they were just so afraid by that appearance. Because not only is it the Joker, but he's ruining your child's favorite holiday within itself. <laughs> so I just thought that was really interesting and, and it's and it was cool too like uh i i just thought it was cool that the episode of introducing the joker was a christmas one because when it comes to a batman and gotham city i always like to really think of like christmas being one of the main highlights like throughout like the annual year of, of gotham city or like basically because you know as much as as cheerful and joyous as everything should be with the people within the city, you know something's going to go down. There's always something, and Batman expects that. Batman cannot have this uh, this mind frame that some that nothing is going to go down because you know there's too much attention toward towards the holiday in itself, and he knows that a villain will act regardless of it. And for the joke, especially if it's someone like the Joker, you know, which makes it even more you know much more worse so i thought it was cool because i always love watching whether it's a, a movie or a cartoon or a comic anything anytime it's christmas time in gotham city you know some shit's about to go down so i just thought it was interesting that the second episode uh the first holiday was christmas and you had the joker be the first villain uh to actually do that itself in the show yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that pretty, was awesome. Yeah, that, that, I thought that was really interesting because so we've seen the Joker uh, pull off his, uh, I guess you could say his orchestrated work through uh, through Christmas. That was his. That's how they first wrote him in the show. So you know, like I said, like it's it's. I know most of what happened in the show, but there are just a lot of episodes I honestly don't remember. So it's going to be interesting going forward to see what he does next. You know, like what his next crime, what his next motive, his next agenda will be towards Batman. The best part was this episode was just so Joker in the sense where, like, all the ways he'd come and attack Batman was through toys and things that should be fun. And that's. 
Joker's a clown. Clowns should be fun. And these toys, these Christmas toys and everything should be fun. But then you have like, what, like eight Joker like statues shooting bullets at Dick and uh, these planes are coming around and everything. And what I love is like the little toy planes, like Joker heads on it. You know, Batman grabs a baseball bat and just starts swinging, knocking them out. And then here comes Dick with the one liner because, of course, he has to have one. Well, I guess that's why they call you Batman. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, that was awesome. You know, stuff like that <laughs> you really laugh at, you know, now because it's really funny. And I just really thought this was really fitting for the Joker. Um, even something goofy like when Batman grabs him like at the end, and like. Batman rips off his sweater, but he has another sweater underneath his sweater. Yeah, the Batman same grabs. the same exact one, yeah. Right, he grabs his sweater, but the sweater has arms on it, like little hands. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Like, that's, again, this is one of my favorite episodes to watch every, like, around this time, like, around Christmas time. Not this time, it's summer here, but um, whenever Christmas rolls around, it's like, I just got to watch it. It just, it makes my Christmas time more Christmassy, if you will, and... Yeah, it's just one of my favorite episodes of all time when it comes to this show. Um, personally, I'm going to give it my rating. I give the show, this episode, Christmas with the Joker, a 5 out of 5. Perfect episode. Great way to introduce the Joker, introduce Mark Hamill's Joker. Um, great way to introduce, you know, Robin and um, all the different characters here. So I, I loved it. 5 out of 5 for me. Okay. Uh, also, too, one other thing I wanted to point out. Uh point out that i really liked was even the ending where uh once the joker gets ca uh, captured and he's brought back to arkham asylum one interesting too is that you know that's he's like the only villain that has no problem with going back you know like usually like I, let's say going forward you know all these all the other villains that they introduce in the show if let's say they get captured and uh and you know they get back to Arkham or, or wherever else they were last locked up and you know of course they're gonna like want to have a personal vendetta from being captured and you know they can't wait to break out anytime soon and uh, then, then they won't be able to break out anytime soon and you know pretty much they're just going to just be so frustrated about it whereas the Joker just sits in the corner you know pretty much this the same way he left Arkham is the same way he's entering back in it, and that's just laughing. You know, like, he's just, that insanity will always be there 24-7. So if he gets captured, guess what? He's going to go in with a smile just the same way he left with one. You know, and that's, I think that's just a repetitive process is that there's just no break in the Joker. The Joker is a very hard villain to crack. So even when he does get frustrated when... Bat, let's say Batman hasn't figured, you know, figured out uh, once they're, you know, back and forth with each other, whatever the situation is. At the end of the day, the Joker is just going to look forward to dueling with him again. It's not like he's he's got a personal grudge like all other villains do. So uh, j j uh, to wrap up my review uh, for this episode, I'm going to also go with five out of five. You know, from start to finish, it was fun. It was entertaining. And one thing, this is going to be a little selfish to say, because as much as as much as much Batman and Robin do their parts well, like, again, when, when it's a Joker, the Joker steals the show. He is the show stealer whenever he is involved. It could be anything. It could be a comic, movie, cartoon, 
etc. Anytime the Joker is involved, he takes the show. That's why he is the most famous villain in, in like in general. The most famous fictional villain to this day is because once he's in the picture, you know something special is going to happen. You know something's going to go down, and you're going to be easily entertained. So since they brought him in a second episode from start to from start to finish, it was just entertaining, uh, just straight up. And then I was a little sad when the episode ended. Yep. And you know what? You just know get ready because I'll tell you off the bat, just you know, because you don't remember most of them, but there's a lot more great Joker episodes coming. Joker's like episodes that eclipse even this one. So strap in, get ready, because you're about to be on for a wild ride. It's gonna be fun. I mean, it's always fun with it. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of, um, I guess fun, if you will. Um, so we had something that happened. I believe it was what, like last month. Um, Batman proposed to Catwoman, which I personally I find super ridiculous. I I know I just it's hard <laughs> for me to imagine Batman like tied down with anybody. Like you, you can always tell he always kind of wants it. But he doesn't know, like, in his line of work, it just doesn't happen. And nothing wrong, I've always said, hey, if there was one woman for him to be with, it would be Selena, it would be Catwoman, because she's just as fucked up as he is. And not only that, but just, like, they just complement each other so well, and they work together so well. Um, and when there was, like, there was this uh, comic a few years ago, it was called, like, uh, it was uh, Detective Comics, but the name of the story was like Gothtopia or something like that. I forget the name. Yes. Um, is that what it was, Gothtopia? I um, believe so. Yes. You know, it's like pretty much like this perfect world where there's law and order. And it was like a, a Scarecrow episode, uh, a Scarecrow issue, I believe. I think he was a Scarecrow. Yes. It, he, yeah. Yes. It was, uh, it was him, uh, Doing the opposite. Instead of him exposing your inner fears, he w- he was actually he developed this formula where it would uh, uh, experience your inner desires. So basically, whatever Batman and uh, Catwoman desired, it was almost like they were sharing the same uh, universe together, where everything was perfect, you know. And then they brought in Poison Ivy to actually uh, help them snap out of it. But, you know, that's the long story. But, yeah, that's pretty much what that story was pertaining to. Yeah, and I liked it because they were together. It's like, okay, well, this is cool. But you know it's not going to last. It's going to last for as long as the story lasts. How, you know, I, I just don't understand. Like, how do you go forward with these two together? And do they break up? If they break up, is it mutual? Is it nasty? If, if they actually get married and stay together, because no one really gets married and stays together in comic books. So it's, I call it ridiculous, but like, if they're going to really do this, I hope they commit, no pun intended, but I hope they commit to it. And I hope it's just something that lasts for a long time. And it's not just some kind of throwaway storyline. Um, but I'm, I'm cool. If they do actually get married, cool. But right now, I think it's ridiculous because. Again, things just never really turn out for the happy in comic books with superheroes. Um, I, 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 uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, put it to you like this: it's something that I'm sure both uh, Batman and Catwoman have each dreamed of in their own way about it. I'm sure because they, 
you know, they have a complicated relationship and love for each other where they both know, do know better that, like, Batman knows that it wouldn't work out for Catwoman because Catwoman is still an, an anti-hero character. And Catwoman knows that Batman will always, uh, not go to the, go to the extreme that she does. And she can accept that. That's the thing about, uh, about Selena compared to other anti-hero characters is that she understands Bruce. So she understands that he wouldn't be willing to enter a life, pretty much like enter an extreme lifestyle that she does. But again, you know, it's just one of those things where maybe it was done, uh, maybe just they probably felt like, you know, they, it was convenient for each other. You know, it's like, let's say, one of those things where, you know, an adult says, hey, well, listen, you know, if we're not married by 40, then let's get married, which never works out. But, you know, I if you know people, if you know a couple that has done that, I want to know who they are. But it's almost like they just it's almost like they just did it because it was convenient for them. And, you know, Batman knows it's a risk. Catwoman knows it's a risk. And just to give a little brief little recap as to why it was done in the first place was because, uh, I, like, got, like, Gotham Girl, like, the, uh, character in Batman's title had actually, I guess, gave him some prep talk as well as even, uh, like, Thomas Wayne. Like, there was, a story, like, the previous story that was done before this, you had Thomas Wayne involved. Uh, not, not, not too sure the specifics of it because I actually didn't read the story, but there was this panel where Thomas Wayne actually told him to drop this, drop the life that he's in right now to just let go and be happy. And basically, if Bruce heard that from anyone, from anyone else, anyone within a bad family, he would have listened. But because it's coming from Thomas, his own father, I, I feel like he probably took that a little more personal. Like, let's say if Alfred were to tell him that, he would kind of, like, just shake it off and not even, like, bother to consider it. You know, if Dick Grayson tried to tell him that, he wouldn't listen. If even Selena told him to do that, he wouldn't do it. But because it's someone so dear to him, I mean, I hate, you know, like, more dear than anyone else, coming from his dead father, telling him that, you know... It's almost like he's getting approval because he's dedicating his life, you know, avenging their deaths. So to hear that come from Thomas, like, listen, I want you to be happy. You know, you you know, this life that you've carried on, you know, in your adult, like you can drop it. You can let it go, you know, or at least just try to make room for some happiness. And I think that's why he proposed uh, to Selena. Another thing, too, is um you know, maybe Batman doesn't have a bucket list, but maybe Bruce Wayne does, and maybe that's just something that he wanted to cross off the li- cross off his list as far as just proposing to Selena, try to see where that life goes. Because Batman, at this point, he's been through it all. You know, he's lost allies. He's, you know, he's been through betrayal. He's been through heartbreak and deception, and he's been through so much. So it's almost like, what's another one if if it shouldn't work out with her? But I'm interested to kind of like to see where it does go. And like you said, I hope they do get committed, you know, because that's the whole purpose of being a superhero is that, you know, when you're a superhero, 
it's tough to have a relationship or even a marriage because it's just it's a life that you can't keep up with. It interferes with the life that you're trying to build as far as trying to save the ones you love or trying to save the city you love. You know, uh, being in a relationship does get in the way. It you know, like that that life gets in the way. So we'll see where this goes. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of different turmoil of events that doesn't that's not going to look good for Batman. But if anyone can handle that kind of stress, it is Batman. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how it's going to play out. And that all took place in issue 24 of Batman. Um, which brings us right into issue 25, which is the War of Jokes and Riddles, part one. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about this a little bit. Um, I actually really did enjoy this issue. It was really fun. Um, this issue takes place back in year two of, of Batman's time of being Batman. So he had gone through everything the first time around and pretty much let it, put everyone on notice, hey, Batman's here. He's, you know, taking down the best. He's taking down Riddler, Joker, whomever. And after basically setting, you know, putting everyone on notice and basically everyone now knows Batman runs Gotham. If you are doing anything wrong or, you know, committing some crimes, beware the Batman, you know. So now with that being the status quo of Gotham, um, that doesn't really sit well between two of Gotham's, I guess, best villains. I, I don't know if you could say best villains, but I guess... I would most, say uh, maybe clever. I'd say most infamous villains. And so you have Joker and the Riddler. Jokes and Riddles, right? And they're, they're both a little depressed. They're just not, like, feeling the way they used to. When they, when they do whatever they wanted and got away with it, they... they run the town and do what they wanted but now they got this Batman who's just a thorn in their side and he's just up their ass and they can't do anything about it and Joker's doing everything he can to just make himself laugh again but he can't because Batman's taken away the joy of what he does same on the other end Riddler is driven mad because he's used to being the smartest guy in the room he's, still, he's used to being able to trump everybody and he just can't get past Batman. Batman can solve any riddle he's ever thrown at him, but he can't solve Batman. So that's really what this story is. So you think, okay, well, what happens? You know, what, what's their plan? So basically Joker leaves a riddle, funny enough, basically trying to get uh, Batman to find where he is. Joker's killing people, you know, just again, just trying to bring joy to his life. He can't. And who solves the riddle? The Riddler. Riddler finds where Joker is. But instead of going to the Joker to eliminate him or what have you, he goes up to him and he's like, hey, look, Batman's driving us both mad. You know, and the thing is, I can't let you solve my riddle. And you can't let me tell your joke. Basically saying, hey, if I kill Batman, you're going to be unsatisfied. If you kill Batman... I'm going to be unsatisfied. So what we have to do is we have to work together. This is how, this is what we have to do. We have to kill them together. This is where we both get what we want. Well, knowing Joker the way we know the Joker, do you think Joker's going to team up with anybody? No, 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 no. So that leads to an, leads to an altercation. I won't say exactly what it is because 
you know, we want the viewer, uh, you know, if you guys haven't read it yet, we just don't want to dive in too much into spoiler territory. But sure enough, you kind of, you can kind of guess what happens with the Joker at that point. Um, and being the altercation that happened, this leads to the war of the Jokes and Riddles. Joker's team, basically Joker, I know, right? Like Joker won't team up with anybody, but then he has a team. But I, I, they, they didn't get too much to specifics yet. I'm sure we'll learn more in the next issue. But basically you have Joker and people who have sided with the Joker versus the Riddler and people who have sided with the Riddler. But at the end of the day, they all want to kill Batman. So I assume at some point they're probably all going to get together and maybe we'll have something like a new version of the Long Halloween or something like that. Um, and again, the reason why we did mention the proposal was because this issue is being narrated by Batman. So everything's happening. Um, but Batman, you can tell, like, basically Batman's telling the story. And what he's doing is he's telling the story to Selina because there's something apparently that Batman did in that war that just doesn't sit well with him. And I want to read a little quote from the book, the one that just, that I really liked, that I was like, wow, that kind of leads you really questioning, like, what the hell did, what happened? And he says, people think they understand me. Alfred, Gordon, the boys, all of Gotham in its way. Even you, talking to Catwoman, a man in pain trying to save who he can. They think, but they don't understand anything. They don't know a damn thing about me because they don't know Cat. I don't like that he called her Cat. I can't imagine Batman ever calling her Cat. To me, he's always going to call her Selina. So that, that was a little weird writing on Tom King's part, but it is what it is. They have no idea. You have no idea. But you have to. Before, before any of this, you have to know what I did, what I had to do during the War of Jokes and Riddles. I love it. It left you, you know, it, now it makes you want to know, what did Batman do? But you also want to see what lengths Joker and Riddler go to to tear each other apart and what, what's going to happen in this predicament, this ordeal. So I'm, I really very much enjoy this issue. Um, the art was really good. I want to give props to, uh, to the artist. Uh, I think it was Mikhail Janin. Um, he did really good with the artwork. Um, he did the coloring and the cover and everything. And uh, again, good writing on Tom King's part. So overall, I'd say I give this a 4.5. I feel like there was some weird writing in there. Um, but 4.5 out of 5. What did you think of the, uh, the okay. issue? Any comments? Anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, since it looks like we are going to have uh, a, a roster of two teams, so you have Team Joker and Team Riddler, I think that's pretty interesting because there is this one page in the book and in the issue and it's probably like one of the best like pages i i could ever see in a batman book you have one side of uh one close-up shot of the joker on the left hand side and then on the right hand side is one close close-up shot of the riddler face to face and in between them are all of batman's like uh all of his villains like uh going at it so you have uh, you have some complimentary matchups. You actually have Deadshot versus Deathstroke. You know, you had Solomon Grundy against Killer Croc, Ventriloquist against Two Face, Poison Ivy versus Mr. Freeze, so on and so forth. You had all these matchups happening 
And my uh, my curiosity is to actually see who will side with who, you know. So, you know, it's up to maybe it's up to the reader to kind of like do some investigating to see w- uh, which logical villain would this would this particular villain side with. So I'm think I'm, I find that pretty interesting. I actually really looking forward to seeing what the lineups are going to be like what's what joker's team is going to be and who's going to be on uh riddler's team and you know what when you have two teams especially from two characters that you love of course you and i are going to pick which side we like more or which uh motive we like more because it's almost like it's almost like dc civil war we'll say it's the villain edition you know they both have an agenda. The agenda is the same. They both want to kill Batman. They want to try to see who can get to him first. But and you know, with that being a little biased, you know, I don't want to just say Team Joker will be our favorites right away, because you know what? It's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a little hard to decide because Riddler has really, at this point, you know, really proved that he's that he's not going to stand second to anybody. Including the Joker, so t- to have the the Riddler face off with the Joker is a big deal. It's actually a big deal for for you know for just the Riddler's character in general. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I I believe it's an it's an eight part uh, issue storyline, so we're definitely going to be up to par with that. And since these uh, issues come out, I, I believe twice a month, so. We're talking about maybe four months or so. We're talking four months that the story will spend or uh, uh, pan out. So we'll definitely keep keep up to date with it. It looks like it's going to be a great story. It already began great, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, I'm really excited to see where it goes. I like it. Keep it going. Keep the, epi- the episodes. I keep on say episodes. Keep the issues coming. I'm just worried because I didn't see Bane anywhere. Not that Bane would really team up with either one of these guys. That's not really his style, but I want to see Bane show up. Maybe be like a third party or something. I don't know. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if Bane got – if Batman got Bane to side with him? Then maybe that's what, what the whole revelation will be. <laughs> you know, I'm really thinking just, is they're going to turn this into Long Halloween where Batman just goes and, like – or – not long Halloween. What was the other one? The um, the one where Bane breaks his back. Why am I forgetting the name of that? Oh, movie? Nightfall. Nightfall. What if it turns into something like Nightfall, where he fights everybody, and finally he's tired and you know reeling, and Bane shows up and breaks his back? I don't know. Like, but it wouldn't make sense to the narrative because Batman's telling her the story because of something he did. Like, did he kill somebody? What happened? I'm excited. I don't I'm keep reading it. I'm really excited. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's definitely. I don't believe that would be it. I mean, if that was it, uh, then yeah, that would be like that would like tell us that yeah, then we don't know Batman then at this <laughs> at this point. But uh, basically, it is something he did during that war. It, it's definitely something shocking and unnerving. You know, maybe it was something he did to end the war. That's why it's. Uh, like there's like it's there's a reason why the story is being told, and like it's not just so much that you're having two of his strongest villains go against each other, and they're using Gotham City as their battlefield, but he's telling the story because there was 
some sort of involvement that he had that uh, that just really uh, damaged him mentally, and it's obviously something he couldn't have revealed to anybody, including his loved ones, you know, everyone dear to him, just something he couldn't reveal, and now we're finally getting to hear it. And the, the, the interesting thing, uh, thing is he's telling this to Selena, of all people, you know, so when she finds out, it could actually probably make her be distraught, you know. So that's what I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, to seeing that uh, revelation. Yeah, for sure. Um, so after you read it, you know, I gave it a 4.5. What would you give it? Um, I would say the same. I would uh, definitely say 4.5 out of uh, out of five as well. Um, like I said, I can't really think of uh, the cat part. You said <laughs> the, uh, I, could, I could see that too. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe he called to that because maybe it was something that that you know. Let's say he called her in their early years before them two were really down at each other's throats. Who knows? Um, but uh but you know my 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 thing is this like it's interesting that this story is something of the past because to have the riddler not find it funny anymore that he keeps losing you know that's something that you would really expect in present time you know let's say the joker has just had it you know let's say it's not the the game the the thrill of the game isn't fun isn't fun for him anymore and he doesn't find it funny so he realizes you know what him killing Batman is what will do it. But again, um, definitely looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, you know, it's always nice to really read a new story that is supposed to take place in Batman's early years, and we've had plenty of them already. We've had uh, you've had uh, Year One, uh, Zero Year from Scott Snyder and the New Fifty Two. So you definitely have a lot of great. Uh, I would call them like prequel stories, like in Batman's early years in general. So definitely looking forward to seeing where uh, the war of jokes and riddles goes to. Yeah. Hey, you know, as long as they don't do any more like flower people, I'm cool. That was like, <laughs> that's Mr. Bloom. Yeah, Mr. Bloom, Bloom and Anya, I don't give a shit. Like, that was stupid. Call it what it is, that show's dumb. But, anyways, um, <laughs> something that's not so dumb. A uh, little bit of Injustice 2 news. Uh, July 11th, officially announced, Sub-Zero is making his way to the Injustice 2 roster, which I am so damn excited for. One of my favorite fighting game characters of all time. You know, it's and, he, and he's here, he's going to be in this game, and I think he fits in so well. I love, um, it's a lot of stuff that he's doing in there. Um, you know, like the, the double ice clones, and he really is borrowing a lot of his moves from like Mortal Kombat 10. It's almost like, take Mortal Kombat 10, where it had three of the uh, variations of Sub-Zero. It's like you take the best of all three and combine it into one, and you have like this Omega Sub-Zero. And I feel like that's what he is in this game. Super excited. Are you going to play it then? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, one of the, one of the interesting highlights was the different uh, variations of his clone use, because... You know, the, the one thing, it actually reminded me of, like, Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. I feel like in those games, the, the way that the way the clone was used was 
it wouldn't just be one movement. Like I feel like in the later games, I feel like when you did the clone, it was either he would back, you know, he would do a backflip, he would leave the clone there on ground, or let's say if he did it in air, the clone would be in the air. But I, but then that was it. If you play like Mortal Kombat uh, one and two, the, when he does a clone at any kind of movement, so like he could be on the like laying on the floor, and as soon as he gets up, that could turn into a clone. Like basically any kind of movement whatsoever, whether he's on the floor, um, standing up, up in the air. So it's interesting. We we saw a lot of that in the trailer, and he uses it in so many different ways. Ways where it's like unexpected. So, like basically, like in the other games, like in the last uh, game, like I'd say Mortal Kombat Nine or even Mortal Kombat Ten, you know, you knew he was going to do a clone if you were uh, playing against him. Whereas I feel like uh, his character in Injustice Two, I really feel like it's going to throw you off because you'll never know when he'll do it because he'll do it in so many different ways. So. I'm looking forward to that. And like you said, there was a lot of uh, combination of all three variations that they that they introduced to you in Mortal Kombat X with him. So they took a little variations of those and they just incorporated into one. And I even like his look, too. You know, uh, I, I, I like that it's all designed by Jim Lee, who also did Scorpion's design in the first Injustice game. So I think that was pretty interesting. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> this will technically be, I mean, even though it's another realms' uh, character, technically the third cold character you have in the game. So you got Captain Cold, Mister Freeze, who's uh, that's used as a, as a premium skin of Captain Cold, and now you got Sub Zero. But once Sub Zero comes out. I hate to say this, but Captain Cold may take a you know a seat at the bench and just you know see what a cold character is like is all about. I mean, I hope you don't like complete dismiss him. I mean, I hate for people to give him the cold shoulder, you know. Sorry, man. I'm just trying not to be too icy here. God damn. Anyways, <sighs> oh, you know you love it. I Anyways, do. That's funny. But I, I really do hope there is. Is not doesn't have to be a premium skin or whatever, but like some kind of outfit that you can change the shader to that makes him look like Noob Saibot. Give me my Noob Saibot. Give my Sub Zero <laughs> Noob Saibot. I love Sub Zero, man. I just can't get enough. So I mean, like, I know I, I'd be the first to admit I really was not happy when Scorpion showed up in Injustice, but I I, I don't care, man. It's like you know what? Give me Sub Zero. It's like, put Akuma in any game, I want to play as Akuma. Give me Sub-Zero in any game, I want to play as him, so... Well, I mean, it's just fitting. I mean, Sub-Zero is just as loved as, as much as Scorpion. And like I, like you said, I did find it a little silly when they, uh, when, I put, when they put Scorpion in as a DLC character in the last Injustice game. But, you know what? If you can have Scorpion, then you got to have Sub-Zero in the next game. The same way they had uh, Freddy Krueger... And uh, Mortal Kombat 9, and then they had Jason Voorhees and Jason, uh, uh, excuse me, I almost said Jason X, and Mortal Kombat X. So <laughs> if you're going to have one character be in one game, you got to have their rival be in the next. It's, you know, they're never going to do both, but you know what? It's just fitting to do so because it wouldn't have been fair 
it wouldn't have been fair to just have you know, Scorpion get all the fun. So I actually don't mind uh, Sub-Zero being in this game as a DLC character. But no more Mortal Kombat characters, please. No more. Well, you know we're probably getting Raven, right? I I hope that's a troll. I really hope it is. <laughs> I love I love Raiden. I love Raiden, but I think Nether Realms is getting a little too greedy with their use of their own characters. You know, it's a DC game still. They they made the game, but it's still DC. So you know, one character I don't mind, but I I would leave it at that. You know, we already have an like uh we already have a character that does uh, thunder attacks, such as Black Adam. Uh, really, you know, let's not let's not duplicate characters that are in the game. But, you know, let's come out with some characters that we wouldn't even think of. You know, as far as DC people are concerned. Agreed. Definitely agree with you. Um, okay, so aside from that awesome news, uh, we have another review for you guys. Yay! Um, we have. Dark Days of the Forge. Now, if you remember from my first episode of the Sons of Gotham podcast, we said that we are going to follow Batman Metal and review all the issues that come out for, for Metal. So what Dark Days of the Forge is, is the prelude. It's the introduction to that story, if you will. And now after I read it, I got to be honest, man, I was confused as shit. Some stuff I got, some stuff went way over my head. But lucky for you guys... John knows what the hell he's talking about. John, take it away, please. <laughs> well, d- just just so you don't feel alone in the boat, I was also a little confused at myself. And that's primarily because of this. Uh, in this particular book, there were a lot of references and material that basically uh, old-timer readers would understand a little bit better. Rather than so, like let's say for example, if you started reading a DC book within the last year and you was and you're very raw with uh, DC's material, you would not understand this. Uh, John and I have been reading for a few years now. We even read stories that date back to the 70s, you know. But there are some key stories such as Infinite Crisis. Yes, I know it's one of the one of DC's biggest storylines. Story, uh, I should say events that they ever wrote, and we haven't read it yet. So, and that does play key to this book, and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, this book did ha- did confuse me quite a bit. So what I did was, I had actually did some brief research about it just so I could get a better understanding of it, just so I'm not completely lost going forward into the uh, into the metal storyline. Was I actually went to uh, this YouTube channel? They're called Comics Explained, whereas in their videos they they, they explain the comics they explain uh certain issues as to what was what was done in the issue maybe there are certain things you didn't understand and it's explained to you so they uh reviewed and explained uh dark days the forge and after after watching this review i got a better understanding of it going forward so for example hawkman is involved in the story now john and i don't know too much about hawkman and Hawkman is one of those characters where he just cannot get a, a definitive origin straight because his story has been rebooted uh, countless times throughout you know DC's publication history. But basically, his involvement in this story is uh, it all dates back to him and his Egyptian days, where uh, a ship land uh, uh, this huge ship crash landed 
uh, in his location area where the material that was inside the ship that like the certain special metal was it's called nth metal whereas it was this metal that would consist of energies from all sorts of different famous artifacts that dc has created for you now what are those artifacts they don't necessarily tell you but it's shown in the in the book itself and when you do see them you're like oh my god so for example the nth metal composes of energy of certain uh, artifacts and objects that we've already seen. So, for example, uh, it's uh, Aquaman's trident is made of it. I believe Wonder Woman's uh, gauntlets are made of it. Uh, Doctor Fate's helmet is made of it. So, basically, all these characters that are armored with with, with, with you know with a certain weapon or gear does uh, does have that nth metal in it nth is spelled the letter n t h so it's pronounced nth metal uh so basically hawkman does some investigation and research and he tries to gather all the artifacts that compose of this metal that crash landed uh on his uh i guess you could say planet or location as soon as the story begins uh that was the past. Like they're they're narrating this in the past and present times. So they're giving you a past story of Hawkman, as well as a past. Uh, excuse me, as well as a present story where Batman is also trying to collect uh, all the artifacts. So he actually has a replica of Aquaman's trident. He's got Wonder Woman's gauntlets, Doctor Fate's helmet. Is like like I previously mentioned. He has all these artifacts in possession, and here's the thing they don't tell you why they're collecting them they don't tell they don't tell you why hawkman is is researching for these artifacts they don't tell you why batman is is collecting them they haven't gotten to that yet all you know is that it has to do with the multiverse so there this is going to i would assume this is going to be a multiverse storyline almost kind of um there was all there was kind of a lot thrown at you um I'm going to be honest, there was a lot, as a matter of fact, so I'm not going to really get too into it. Uh, I'll try to keep it spoiler-free uh, for you guys. I just wanted to give you a little synopsis of it as far as that uh, the story was presented in two points of view. It was, pre- it was presented in a past point of view from Hawkman as well as a present point of view from Batman. And it's going to be this big story uh, pr- uh, going forward towards uh, metal so that's where the metal comes into play it's called dark days uh metal because it's this uh this metal that composes of special energy on artifacts that the dc universe has created and how it's going to take toll uh, you know what the purpose of it is is it going to be i'm not sure they're but basically dc they're making this they're making this, they're turning this into a big event. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Um, at first, it, you, they just promoted it as a Batman storyline, but it looks like the Justice League are going to be involved as well. And you got Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo uh, taking over the storyline. They're going, they're going to actually be writing the main story itself. And when those two get together, it's just a special thing because ever since. 
uh, them two doing uh, Batman together and the new 52. They have been one of the most like famous creative teams uh, a comic company a comic company could ever get. So I'm looking forward to that team up again between those two. And again, uh, if you are a if you are a good DC reader as far as knowing certain uh, certain history with these certain characters. You would definitely understand the issue a lot better than John and I did, so I definitely go check it out because it's going to lead into something really big, such as Dark Days Metal. So go check out Dark Days The Forge, which is the prelude to Dark Days Metal. Very nice. And um, after reading it, what do you give it? Uh, well, I'll be honest. Like first impression, I. It's going to sound so poor, but I would give it like a 2.5 out of 5, primarily because I didn't understand. But because, you know, it's a prelude, they can't really spill too much at you. They don't want to give you, you know, they don't want to give anything away. They just want to tease you a little bit, you know. So after actually, you know, actually, you know, a big shout out to Comics Explained, by the way, on YouTube, because if it wasn't for your... uh, if it wasn't for your uh, video explaining the issue itself, I would have still been lost. So thank you so much for uh, you know clarifying it for uh, your fans uh, as far as people getting a better understanding of the issue going forward. So definitely a big shout-out to Comics Explained on YouTube. So after watching that and after soaking that kind of information, um, I'll give it a 3.5 out of 5. Just to boost a little bit because I know it's going to lead into something uh, better, especially for us to really understand now going forward. Very nice. Uh, personally, I give it a three. Um, I, I don't like books that you know require me to know the entire back ca- like catalog of, of comics, or I got to do research. I have to go get like an encyclopedia to understand. Again, I, I do take it for face value, where maybe you're not really supposed to understand everything. Um, but it just seems like, I don't know, like you kind of, maybe they gave us too much credit or something. I don't know. And maybe there's other DC heads who are just like way more hardcore when it comes to stories who know, who know, who know more and, uh, maybe they need the research. Um, but for me personally, I give it a three, um, mainly because of who shows up at the end. So that's why I gave it such a high score. Cause now I'm excited to see what's going to happen with, with that specific character. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But going on to our final topic, both John and I are going to give you our top five actors to play Batman in the order that we love them. So do you want to do like, I give you my number five, you give me your number five, or do you want to go down your whole list and then I'll go down my whole list? Well, I actually have five. Um I actually have five people uh, from least to favorite as far as uh, the uh, top five actors that have played Batman and my reasons uh, behind the rank that I put them in. Cool. Yeah, I got five, too. Um, Ivan, so why don't you hit us up? Why don't you go ahead and go first? Okay. So I'm going to start with five, five being my least favorite. Um, It's going to be George Clooney. But I'm not going to 
I'm, you know, I don't want to sound like everyone else and be on the same bandwagon, whereas, you know, he's my least favorite because he absolutely sucked and this and that with the bat nipples. It, trust me, it has actually has nothing to do with that. Um, you know, I actually considered put, uh, putting him on my list in general because, you know, growing up, because I was, I was, I was a kid when that movie came out, you know, so, when you grow up with something like that as a kid, you know, you don't necessarily hate something like that as a kid. You know, for, for those that that, uh, that didn't like Clooney's performance, uh, let's say even like since the movie came out, I want to say they were already an adult when that happened. But if you were a kid watching Batman and Robin, you know, I don't think it was a movie whereas you looked at it at, let's say you were 10 years old and said it sucked. You know, I still believe you liked it because I remember as a kid, I liked it. Um, yes, of course, I look back on it now and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is a little silly. But I consider Joel Schumacher's Batman movies, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, kind of like what Adam West's Batman would be like in modern day. So, of course, it was it was a bit they were a little more cheesy, a little more family oriented. Um, they uh, they lightened up you know batman's character but especially in batman and robin um so that's how i that's how that's what i'm taking from those movies um one thing i will say about george clooney is yes i didn't care for him as batman like now as an adult but even to this day i still think he made a great bruce wayne because when you look at george clooney in general he's a great looking man you know throughout his entire acting career and when you look at him you could just say yes i could definitely see him as a bruce wayne so he definitely got that part well um that was probably like my probably my biggest highlight of him in that movie so george Clooney will be my fifth uh my fifth uh choice as far as an actor playing batman uh now moving on to my fourth it'll be christian bale i know shocking i put him as number four right the reason is because um Here's the thing. Bale, it's like, I should like him, but the way they wrote him purposely, it's not, it's not Bale's fault. It's just the way they kind of like wrote him, you know, having that real, like, uh, that scruffy, cancerous, like, voice that he had in the dark night. It just, it really, it really bothered me. It really did because it was taken away. Every, it was just very distracting, in my opinion, for the character, because I actually liked him better in Batman Begins. Although I liked The Dark Knight better as a movie, I think him as Batman was a lot better in Batman Begins. Um, because, like, my uh, actually my favorite scene in Batman Begins is when he takes Carmine Falcone out of the car and he says the infamous "I'm Batman" line. Like, I was so behind that when I was in a theater. I was like, yeah, boy. I haven't felt like that since Michael Keaton said it. So when he said that with such intensity, I was all in. But then it was like after that, I was like, ugh. I just didn't really necessarily care for his Batman going forward, quite honestly. Especially in, you know, for modern day. Um, for number three, I'm going to say Val Kilmer. Because I loved Batman Forever growing up as a kid. And even when I look back on it now, yes, it, could, it has its cheesy moments the same way Batman and Robin does, because that was Joel Schumacher's movies, and I don't necessarily want to downgrade them 
because there's just no sense in trying to compare those kind of movies with everything else. Honestly, I feel like, like I said, I I look at though I look at Joel Schumacher's movies as like as a lighter tone, a more family oriented Bat, uh, Batman movie, and um, Val Kilmer was actually, in my opinion, he was great as Bruce Wayne and Batman, and. Especially like just the way he carried himself throughout the movie. So especially the way uh, he presented himself against you know Jim Carrey's Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face. I thought he was very well written for that for that role. You know, and one thing is when you see these movies, the actors that play the villain have to complement the actor that's playing the hero, and vice versa. So to see Val Kilmer, his performance. Uh, coincide with Jim Carrey and Tom Lee Jones. I think it was. Uh, I think it was a great uh, casting for that kind of movie. Uh, for number two, now we're getting close. For number two, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton has been my favorite to this day since I was five. Okay, he like that. That love for him is always going to be there. You know, no matter how you look at him, you know, compared to all the other Batmans, he played a different Batman than the other actors because to me, he, I look, I want to call him the classic Dark Knight. Like he almost had, it was almost like that noir feel whenever you saw his Batman on screen in Tim Burton's films because his, his Batman was a bit more mysterious than the others in my opinion. So when he, whenever he was in the cowl, he, you know, he would lower his voice. He would be, he would whisper to the person he was talking to. Um, his Bruce Wayne, um, his Bruce Wayne was almost like he was so, like, just a little uncomfortable, you know, almost like he was just always uncomfortable whenever he was in the public eye. But when he was Batman, he was just straight up business. I love his expressions, you know. Again, just I grew up with it, you know, at a very young age, and still to this day, I enjoy watching Batman 89 as well as Batman Returns. Uh, still, uh, still entertained by them. Now, for my number one pick, believe it or not, my whole life, it was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton would have been my number one pick if it weren't for Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck has actually gain my respect on so many different levels he is my first pick as far as an actor playing batman on screen for various reasons number one he is everybody's ideal batman not only the way he looks but even the way he carries himself physically um he's big actually the biggest actor to play him he's six four um definitely also even as bruce wayne you know like he has the look as Bruce Wayne, he carries himself well as Bruce Wayne. He's got that that charming wit to him. And then once he's in the Batcave, that all just gets flushed down because he's back to business. But anyway, um, Ben Affleck's Batman, because Ben Affleck, once that announcement was made that he would get casted, it was uh, such a big uproar. Even uh, you know, even John and I just we were like, no, absolutely not. You know, because. He was one of those actors, you know, that was just a little typecasted. He would always take these 
like goofball roles and it was really hard to take him seriously. So, but I feel like in his, for his age now, for him doing more serious things, I like him better as an actor. And him taking the role of Batman has really opened my eyes, has opened a lot of people's eyes. And he is arguably one of the best people to play Batman to this day. So that was my list. So just to recap, from five to one, George Clooney, then Christian Bale, then Val Kilmer, then Michael Keaton, and then for number one, Ben Affleck. John, what's your list? Really thought Michael Keaton was going to be your number one. I know you just you have like an affinity for that film, or like for those OG Batman movies. Um, like I said, if it weren't for Ben, he would have been. <laughs> I know it's a little. Uh, it may sound selfish, but at the same time, you know it should be a compliment. It's uh, you know it's called passing of the torch, you know, so to speak, and it was done in you know in a great way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, so mine, uh, it's going to sound really similar, but number five for me is George Clooney. Um, now, what people don't need to understand is this. He didn't play a bad Batman. The movie was just bad, right? So the movie was just, like, written poorly. Um, if you really look at it, you can't in the same breath say that his Batman was bad if you enjoyed Adam West's Batman because this was pretty much just more of a – on-screen version of Adam West Batman, you know, a bigger budgeted version. Um, people bitch about the nipples and all that, but, you know, Val Kilmer's suit had the nipples on it, too. So how come they never bring it up for that one? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was okay. Like, he definitely didn't play the part bad. He still played a good Batman, a good Bruce Wayne. But he just played a classic, campy Batman 66 version when... We were, what, like in the late 90s, 2000s when that movie came out? Like, yeah, like late 90s? So uh, Nah, early, earlier than that. It was like in the mid-90s, like maybe 96 or so. Batman Forever was mid, not was mid. Because Batman Returns was 92 or 91. I think 91. Yes, no, Batman Forever was 1995. Yeah. It's and it's about 97. Ba- 97. Okay. Felt earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, it's because we're old. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, again, it was just like, it was pretty much the wrong Batman, the, the right Batman at a wrong time, I guess. It was, I don't know if I'm saying that right. So, basically, 66 Batman just didn't fare well in the 90s where Dark Batman was supposed to take over. Um, so, I think that's where it. George Clooney kind of gets a lot of shit, even though I don't think he deserves it, because I think he did fine. I think he played a good extension of Adam West Batman. Uh, speaking of which, I agree. yeah, right. So speaking of which, number four, Adam West. Um, I did actually go back and watch a couple of episodes since the last uh, podcast, um, and I did watch a movie. Not it was before you passed, unfortunately. Um, but his, like for the goofy, campy Batman, like he was funny. He was good. He was entertaining. I actually very much enjoyed watching him. Um, I know I said before I'm not a huge fan of the 66 Batman. I'm still really not. But the personality and everything that he brought to that role, I actually do like a lot. So, um, you know, I, I bet if I go back and watch them now, because it's been a long time since I really sat down and watched them, I think I'd enjoy them 
way more now. So actually, that's probably one of my big things is maybe maybe I'm really going to give him a chance. Um, so yeah, number four slot goes to Adam West. Number three, Val Kilmer, because I absolutely enjoy. I, I still love Batman Forever till this day. I thought he played the part really well. At the time, he was younger, uh, better looking and everything, so I think he brought a certain Bruce Wayne to the role. Um, and, of course, his love interest was Nicole Kidman, so, I mean, that's that's a good movie within itself. And he had a good supporting cast. Like, he had Jim Carrey playing the Riddler-Joker fusion thing. And, oh, you know what's funny? Because even, like, <laughs> even, like, Tommy Lee Jones playing Two-Face still has some Joker in there, too. It was really, like, out there. It was really crazy. But um, but I enjoyed it. I, I definitely enjoyed it, and I really – I just like that movie a lot. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, so, yeah, Val Kilmer, number three. Uh, number two, the OG, Michael Keaton. Um, I, I feel like without Michael Keaton and, and Tim Burton's movies, Batman couldn't be at the prominence that he is at now. I think those movies came out at a really good time. That helped transition Batman from 66 Batman to modern, darker Batman. And we got darker stories, but still, you know, played out well for kids, for us at that age. And um, you got to give Michael Keaton much respect for playing that part that he did in the most confining suit possible. I mean, the man had to move his entire body to do a kick. Come on. But he played the part so well. And, like... You just kind of forget, you know, that, that he can't move because he does move really well. And on top of that, I think he played the part really well. I still don't think he looked the part of Bruce Wayne very much, but the, he was charming. And the personality that he brought to the role kind of, like, excuses all of that. So looks aside, I think he played the second best Batman ever. And number one, the person I hated the most. The person I was like, no, you cannot be Batman. No. Like, how dare you, sir? But holy crap, did he knock it out of the park? Ben Affleck. I watched Ben Affleck. I'm like, that. this is what I want. He actually played my Batman. And you know what? I should have given him more credit because he grew up loving Batman. He loved Batman, loved Daredevil, loved Frank Miller's take on both of them. And I should have given him more credit. And you know what? This is... A time where I'll, I'll easily say, hey, I'm going to eat the crow because I talked all that shit. And you know what? Ben Affleck, congratulations. You really knocked it out. And what I love is, yeah, he plays the dark Batman really well. He plays it like he's really consumed, like he is Batman. And you forget that he's Ben Affleck. And on top of that, just like his movements, the stuff that he does, the way he fights, it's like you're playing Arkham Asylum or Arkham City, um, especially in the scene in Batman versus Superman where he's taking out all the thugs in the warehouse. I mean, I, I love that. And I really can't wait to see what he's going to do in Justice League and what he's going to do, uh, even his own solo movie coming out. Even uh, even in Suicide Squad, just a little part that he had. He just brought so much to that role. And he is my favorite Batman. So this, like from now on, like I whatever they decide to do, I trust. He made me trust the DC Universe. So... Kudos. I, I, ben Affleck's my number one. So, uh, against recap, number five, Clooney. Number four, West. Three, Kilmer. Two, Keaton. Number one, Ben Affleck. 
very similar, like you said, very similar to mine. And uh, one thing about Affleck that I really admire is one thing about Batman is he's supposed to be intimidating. I mean, I like just really look intimidating and not even so much what he says or does. He needs to look intimidating as well. And I really feel like he captured that compared to the other actors. Whereas Michael Keaton is definitely up there. I really, like, he has definitely had so many expressions throughout those, you know, two movies. Whereas there are certain, there are certain scenes and shots, whereas you look at him and you just do not want to mess with him. Especially when he fights the Joker at the at top of the cathedral. And, but Bat, but Affleck captures that just so well, especially that he's got that rounded big jaw, just like just like you know Batman would have in the comics. Like it's just it's just really great to see, especially you know in a theatrical movie, you know because and also too like because Ben Affleck is supposed to play that old and wary Batman, so he doesn't look. It's it's weird. It's like he doesn't necessarily look like he's fully awake. It's almost like he's just he's just had enough and whatever comes his way, well, you don't want to be in his way. Let's just put it at that. You know, that's yeah. the thing. He will not he will not tolerate it for one second. Like he just has no his his patience is just wearing thin at this point, uh, for the Batman that he's playing. And Again, it, even with those those eyes, you know, it's just very intimidating. He definitely ca- like captures the look for it, you know. So it's like take all the the actors inside the cow, and they all again nothing not to uh, not to take anything away from all the other actors that we that we mentioned. You know, they all bring something special to the table. That's one thing I love about all of these actors that have played these roles is that if one has played one special, you know, uh, in a way that you really admired them. And let's say the next actor plays them, that character again, you know, we don't want to copy and paste, you know, like let's say that they, let's say it's different, but it could be a good different, you know, like, so you have, you can't be Batman's, you have your semi-serious Batman's and then you have your ultra serious, which is Ben Affleck's, you know, and they've done the same thing with the Joker. You know, the Batman and the Joker have been played by various actors, and you have different variations for each one. So it's one of those things where it's hard to make a comparison because they're also significantly dif- significantly different from each other. You know, so it's not like one is necessarily trying to play with the other person did. You know, they may take certain... Uh, and you know uh, certain inspirations, but still turn it into their own. And definitely, I think that's what Ben has done. Ben, I, I would say he's definitely looked at you know Christian Bale's Batman. He's looked at Michael Keaton's Batman, and take certain elements that they've already done and see what he can do on top of that. So, and that's what I think that's what really makes him stand out to this day. But again, I'm glad that he is. Uh, the Batman that we all needed and deserved. Amen to that. And um, I mean, that pretty much wraps things up for us on this uh, this week's episode. Any uh, parting words for the audience, John? 
just keep cool, stay calm, and be Batman. Always be Batman. <laughs> and with that, we want to bid you guys a farewell. Uh, make sure you guys do like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe, leave a rating if you are listening to us on iTunes. We are official on iTunes. And don't forget to join us next time uh, at the same bad time, same bad channel. Take care, guys. Ciao. Thanks.